Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our sermon text is The Rich Man and Lazarus from Luke 16. The account of Lazarus and the rich man is very interesting on several levels. Here we have a man of immense earthly wealth with friends, fine food, probably plenty of wine, booze, and so on. The text says he sumptuously feasted every day. And, I mean, feasting is fine, but every day uh, is, is excessive. This versus Lazarus, who at the other end of the spectrum, he's so poor that he simply desires scraps, and there's no account of any friends that he has to tend to him or help him. It is a lonely existence. The only ones recorded as being near are dogs that lick his wounds, and we would go, ooh, but uh, they probably actually were the only things helping him at that moment. Well, they both die. We might imagine Lazarus to his great relief and the rich man to his sadness, if he even saw death coming or thought about it. One being taken from a life of pain and suffering and the other from a life of wealth and comfort. As the account goes on, we find Lazarus at the side of Abraham, literally literally resting at his bosom, sort of like John at the Last Supper with his head resting on Jesus' bosom or chest. And he has entered his eternal rest. Opposed to this is the rich man who is in hell and looking up to heaven where he sees Abraham and Lazarus far off. And he calls out for some relief. Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. A quick side note, yes, there is a hell, it is real, and it is a place of unquenchable fire. And there, this rich man, in his statement, he also identifies himself as a Jew, having Abraham as his father. The word send is an imperative. It's a command. Send. Do it now. Send Lazarus to me to tend to my needs. This dead rich man is still full of himself, but he also shows that he has been aware of Lazarus. He knows who he is. He knows his name, yet he never sought to help him in his earthly life. He was too busy reclining at the table with sumptuous feasting. A similar repose at the bosom of Abraham is now Lazarus' place. The Pharisees heard this account and immediately could see themselves as the nameless rich man that is identified as having Abraham as his father. Abraham even calls him child. Ancestrally, he is a child of Abraham, but he lacks Abraham's faith a faith that trusted in God and not in his own wealth. Wealth that Abraham left behind to move where God told him to go and be the father of a nation he could scarcely imagine. Abraham trusted in God's promise and in God's help to save him. The Pharisees should have had that faith and been tending to God's herding flock, a flock that needed to be fed with his word and promise of a savior. Yet with Jesus before them, 
they worried about and fed their own interests, leaving the Lazarus types at the door seeking crumbs so they might be led to Jesus. There was no faith, no fruits of the faith in the Pharisees or the rich man. But Abraham trusted God, followed his command, and had faith counted as righteousness. And his name we know. This rich guy, today we would want to know who had the big funeral. We would search online to find out who he was, what he was about, what he had done. But according to Holy Scripture, just another rich guy. Nowhere, no, now where all his riches do him no good. We don't know his name. But we are given the name of the beggar, Lazarus. And the fact that it is given to us is important. We all know the other Lazarus, the Lazarus come forth Lazarus, same name, different guy, similar story. Similar because of the name Lazarus. It is the only time a personal name appears in any parable or parable-like story in the Gospels. Do you know what it means? It means the one who God helps. While this is an account of one who was wealthy and one who was poor, it is also an account of two beggars. Now in death, who was the beggar? It is interesting that Lazarus, while we do not know the exact relationship between the two, is not concerned about the rich man. We are not told that he is even aware of him. He simply is carried by the angels to the bosom of Abraham. Let this be a little reminder in this life for us, because we worry. As Christians, we carry a cross, and part of that is, is the desire and hope for all around us, especially our family, to be saved. We weep for the lost, those not in Christ, and this is in this life even as we try to confess the faith. And you may see this in someone you confess the faith to, and they go, but my parents, they didn't die in this faith. Well, in the presence of Christ after our death, we will not have any pain. We will not have any suffering. There's no account of Lazarus even knowing the rich man is speaking. We won't think of those who died outside the faith. We'll only have the presence and joy of being with Christ. And this is what Lazarus had in resting in the bosom of Abraham. This is because Lazarus is the one who God helps. He had his trust placed in God and the God of Abraham to save him through the same promise Abraham had received. This even as he begged his way through his earthly life with dogs licking his sores. It was the same hope Jesus commended to the persistent Samaritan woman who he called a dog. She was willing to be simply that, a dog, wanting crumbs from her master's table after his children had had their fill. Just a little bit to bring salvation, healing, and eternal life to her. The rich young man, whoever he was, this rich man, is now separated from God, receiving no relief, and is worried. He is worried for his own comfort and for his nameless family as well. He did not want to have them fall, quite literally, into his faithless fate. He says, then I beg of you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. There's still the imperative with him commanding and begging for this. 
He wanted Lazarus to journey from heaven to return from the dead to warn his brothers. Abram's answer is that they have the prophets and Moses from whom they can and should hear of the promised one who is Jesus. No, the rich man said, he demanded a sign like so many without faith. The word would not be good enough. He wanted something else. Send someone, Lazarus. If someone comes back from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham replies, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, not even if someone were to rise out of the dead, will they be persuaded? That statement is a little bit haunting because who is telling this story? It's Jesus himself who has predicted his death and resurrection. At their hearing, his journey has been from heaven. God has been born man from a virgin's womb, and he was journeying to be crucified, die, and be buried before coming back resurrected from the dead to testify to who he is and that eternal life is in him. And there were many after the resurrection and seeing that still did not believe. But who is the beggar now? begging for the life of his family that they would not enter eternity to spend it like him and lost and condemned in sin to an eternity of torment. What kind of beggar are you? We live in this present time with every conceivable convenience that could not have been imagined a few generations ago. In my past, as in many of yours, just four generations ago, I had a great-grandfather that went to Arkansas in a covered wagon. And now we get in the car and slip down the interstate past the police at 90 miles an hour and get there in a couple of hours. The Lord blessed him, my grandfather, with 105 years of life. And I'm claiming the genes on that side of the family, by the way. In any generation, there are those that will have the luxury of wealth, that will feast sumptuously even every day, with no regard for sharing the blessing God provides. There will be also be those that beg, having very little and sometimes nothing. When we look to God's law, we realize that we are broken sinners with no standing before God based on our own merit. It is the light of the gospel that sheds light into this world. It is the light that exposes our sin and shines light on the path that leads to eternal life and salvation. We see that we are beggars and carry the name Lazarus, the one who God helps. We need God to save us, and He graciously does as He gives faith in Christ, our resurrected Lord. In the baptism of babies and small children, as we have this perfect example right here, we see babies of all species are beggars, and human babies are the worst of all. And I'm sure Marnie and Jansen can attest to the begging fact of a baby, little Otto, who begs for food. He begs to be held. He begs to be comforted. He begs to be cleaned up. Well, they're going to hang around for years, human babies, even decades, not simply weeks or months like birds or rabbits or other things. And they beg for food, protection, clothing, housing, tuition. Godly parents, even some ungodly ones, provide these things, both by the grace of God. But God, out of His mercy, takes children that are born in sin and gives them His name. We have absolutely nothing to offer as payment. We are beggars and simply receive the gift of faith. 
In baptism, we become the one God helps. God calls us out of death into life, life eternal. As baptized children who have been given His name, we are justified before God and forgiven of all sin. We live eternal lives with our hope on things above. He makes us beggars that call out for His help, His mercy, as we live in a fleshly body that is riddled with sin. The first verse of our sermon hymn is appropriate. To God the Holy Spirit, let us pray for the true faith needed on our way, that He may defend us when life is ending, and from exile home we are wending. Lord, have mercy. We cry out as beggars, Lord, have mercy. Let us be the one that God helps. May we rest in the promise of God to have mercy on us, poor miserable sinners that we are, and one day bring us home to rest in the bosom of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.